Recovery Elevator, episode 352. People would drive from wherever they were and come to my house if I told them I had cravings. Like, it was incredible. And to find out that I had six friends that were already years sober, but I wow. never knew because I never thought to ask. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we have Kendall. He's 30 years old. He's from Texas and took his last drink on March 13th, 2021. Great job, Kendall. Before we get started, I want to cover a bit about Recovery Elevator in general. When I first launched the podcast, I think I had about 150 downloads my first month. This was in February of 2015. Now, we're getting about 150,000 downloads per month, and 10 million is our next big milestone that we're approaching. This is good news. I'm happy about it. But as we grow, an intimate component is sometimes always lost. So please don't take it personal if you reach out to me, Odette, or Chris, and don't get a response. We do read everything, but if we responded to everything, that's, that's really all we do. It's been one of the hardest parts about growing RE is losing that personal connection with each one of our community members. And what prompted this part of the podcast is I recently received an email from a community member that contained the line, don't forget where you came from, Paul. And I'm not saying this person is wrong. That's that's how they felt. Um, But I want you to know I do think a lot about this, how to grow at a pace that's comfortable for all, including myself. And I want to be transparent, listeners. I'm currently not in Cafe RE. I was for the first four years, but we reached a conclusion as a team last year that I step away from the community and let the team run it. Obviously, I can't make everyone happy, but I want to let you all know that myself and the team, we take this seriously and a lot of thought goes into the direction of Recovery Elevator. And I do want to say thank you so much for listening and thank you for being part of this fun project That has helped me stay sober. (laughs) It's been a challenge and I've needed a lot of help. So thank you. Okay, let's get started. If you're listening in for the first time, welcome. We're glad to have you. Let me get you up to speed. So last week, this episode and the remaining seven episodes of this year are about creating a game plan for you to log your first AF holiday or maybe AF holidays. Let's make that plural. Or maybe this is your fifth time sober for the upcoming holidays. Regardless, let's come up with a plan. So each week, the game plan is short, it's concise, and it's going to consist of three things that I recommend you try. Before we get into the game plan for today, I want to mention why this is so important. Quitting drinking is a matter of life and death. And I don't want to be grim, but I do want to be real. Sure, alcohol, ethanol is poison. And for example, when we drink and drive, the results can be catastrophic for us and others. But I want to mention something regarding the life part. When we are drinking, we are not living. If we're juggling shame, moderation, hiding our drinks, how to make a hangover go away, then we aren't present at all. That's not fun. That's not living life. So when I say this is a matter of life and death, it's more that we're just not living. Okay, so let's get into this. And here's a recap from last week. The three things I mentioned were, number one, accountability. I know, shocker. Number two, stock up on your favorite AF beverages or another type of treat. And then number three, begin a new healthy practice that you enjoy. So please go back to 351 if you'd like the full breakdown for the details of those three tasks. All right, and here's the game plan for this week. Number one, come up with a craving plan and get specific. What I mean is come up with a concrete plan of what you're going to do if you're about to drink and promise me yourself, and the universe, you'll do this before drinking. Again, be specific. For example, don't just say phone a friend. Say, I'm phoning Tina at 406-685-998. And yes, I know that's a digit short. In fact, that brought up a memory when I asked a girl for a number and she gave me a phone number that was missing a digit. So with this plan, I want you to know exactly who you're going to call. And here's the second part. Let this person know that they are part of your plan. So when they see your phone call come in at 11 p.m. on Christmas Eve, they know what's going on and they pick up. Number two, let's talk about JOMO. And this is the joy of missing out. 
I want you to pick something on your upcoming calendar and say, nope, ain't doing it. And feel free to leverage your sobriety or decision to quit drinking. For example, you can let your loved one know that you think it's smart to sit out a certain holiday party this year. Also, extra credit if you sit it all out. That's okay as well. At first, it's prudent to say pass to triggering events. Then, as you log AF time, you'll recognize you're in the wrong room and you'll just want to sit them out. This goes from FOMO to JOMO, and my favorite NFL football announcer is Tony Romo. I had to. Number three, pick your holiday theme song. Pick a song you love and listen to it once daily till the holidays are over. Now, this doesn't have to be from Amy Grant's 1983 release, a Christmas album, or even holiday-themed. I want you to pick a song that has some sort of nostalgic memory attached to it, or maybe a new song that gets your head nodding and feet tapping while listening. So when you're listening to your holiday theme song, try to envision your alcohol-free life. How does it look? What are you doing? What's the scenery? What are you looking at? How are you interacting with others? If you've taken a course with us, this is usually an assignment that we give. Music is such a powerful tool on this journey. We all love music. On the cellular level, each cell in the human body, about 70 trillion of them, contains an antenna-like device called primary cilia that is exquisitely sensitive to sound or vibrations. So certain songs that resonate with us as individuals can help us recalibrate or reharmonize parts of our internal systems that are out of balance. Those are the three things I recommend installing this week. And since it's still football season and I'm the offensive coordinator for the freshman team at our local high school, it's time for another pep talk. Again, you can download just this segment of the podcast for free with the music at the Recovery Elevator website. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. Listeners, I'm having fun creating this music and the talks, and I hope you enjoy them as well. All right, gather round. When we begin this journey into an alcohol-free life, an incredible thing begins to take place. It's perhaps the most remarkable and profound thing that anyone can experience in a human life. Most don't ever experience this. Most never will. Those who don't struggle with a drinking problem or an addiction don't get this option or opportunity. But you, and those who have the courage to do so, have a chance to experience this transformation, which is allowing the deeper you to emerge. There's a voice inside that stems elsewhere than the thinking mind. This says, there has to be more. This isn't the way I want to live. I can't go on living like this. I didn't sign up for this. You've got to be fucking kidding me. Is this some sort of joke? I didn't come this far to only come this far. The miraculous that takes place when we begin asking these questions is we get to know ourselves, your true self, the authentic self, your needs, your wants, desires, and more. This is a one-way street. You can't unknow or turn your back on your true self. It doesn't work that way. If you do, this true voice only begins to speak louder. This is right around the time when alcohol is no longer working for you in the same capacity it used to. My advice is to keep listening to this inner voice and trust it. This guidance is the reason you're listening right now. If you keep listening with your ear inward, this voice will tell you what you need, when you need it, and how to get it. Most importantly, it will tell you what it means to fully live a human life. All of it. The ups and the downs. When we are true to our authentic selves, we can then begin to embrace the full palette of human emotions without alcohol. When we develop a relationship with this inner self, we begin to stand up for ourselves and what we need as individuals. This is a major step in creating a life that no longer requires alcohol. You can do this. In fact, you're already doing it. The bulk of it is already done. I hope you all enjoyed this last part. Again, I'm having a really fun time putting it together for y'all. And before we hear from Odette and Kendall, let's hear from Exact Nature. Exact Nature was founded by a father and son in addiction recovery. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD products are specially formulated to help you face the exceptional challenges of recovery, and we are so grateful to have them as our sponsor. Beat your cravings with their Serenity Blend. If you are interested in learning more, 
Head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. Thank you, Paul, for an amazing intro. Kendall, welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. How are you today? Oh, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm having a great day and I'm a little bit excited to be here. I am very excited um, that you're here and let's get right to it. When was the last time you had a drink? I I think it was March 13th, uh, 2021. So about, I'm actually gonna have to look it up, uh, 202 days ago. Amazing. That that makes me really excited. And I want to tell like kind of a little anecdote story to listeners. But once we get a little bit more into your journey before, can you let us know a little bit about yourself? Can you let us know where you're from, where you're calling in from? Do you have a family? What do you do for fun? What do you do for a living? Just tell us about you, Kendall. All right, let's do it. Uh, So I'm 30 years old. And I am unfortunately divorced, but I have a two and a half year old daughter who is everything to me. I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. And for fun, I've been skateboarding for about 15 to 17 years. I'm one of those people that just picked it up in junior high and never stopped. And now as an adult, I'm (laughs) really good at it. It's just like playing the guitar, you know, it just get better with it over time. I work at AMC theaters as the maintenance guy. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but Paul, who is the founder of this project and who was the main host for like four years of the podcast, he loves skateboarding and he's always laughing because he actually is a little bit older than you. He just turned 40 recently and he's like, I think I need to retire. Every time I every time I try to get back on the skateboard, something happens in my body where I'm just like, this hurts too much. (laughs) Yeah, I'm recovering from an injury from last weekend right now. So I completely understand. (laughs) All right, Kendall, and give listeners some background on your history with drinking. When did you start drinking? When did you realize alcohol wasn't serving you? And what got you on this journey of alcohol free here with us? Okay, so this journey is a little wild one, but I'm not going to go too crazy here. I'm going to dumb it down. So started drinking at 14. Because, you know, I'm a skateboarder. That was a part of the community was drink alcohol, skip class, go skateboard, you know, smoke, do all that kind of stuff. But I never really found it as an issue. I just did it with people as like a peer thing. And, you know, it was the cool thing to do, right? Just like everybody thought. And I never really drank a lot leading up into my 20s either. I would do it occasionally on the weekends with people or party or something like that. But I did notice one thing. Every time I drank... I would get really, really drunk, really drunk. There was no way around just meeting up with my guy friends for a beer. I would have 10 to 20 because I was like, what's the point of having a beer? We're going out to get hammered, right? But that cycle went on for a while. It never seemed like an issue. This was the clear sign where something triggered in my brain. I was 26 and I was at the state fair with like 10 friends and they all got a beer and they asked if I wanted a beer and I said, no because I don't feel like getting drunk right now. And they said, we're just going to have a beer that just have a beer. I said, no, I'm going to get drunk if I have a beer. And that I had never thought about it like that before. And mm-hmm. it just hit me that that's how it went. So that was my first opening to it. My sober journey actually began uh, New Year's Eve 2018 or no, it was 2019. Yeah, 2019, right before COVID. So. New Year's Eve, 2019, that's when I found out I was getting a divorce. So I decided I wasn't going to drink anymore to go through the divorce because I didn't want to be that guy that just drowns himself in alcohol Mm -hmm. during, you know, trying to heal. I made it 50 days and I thought, I'm healed. I'm happy. I'm perfect. I'm going to start drinking with my friends because I'm single and stuff like that. And boom, that's where it hit. And I just started. This was the first time it actually felt like it was out of control. I was two bottles of wine and shots of liquor all day, every day. And I couldn't go to bed without drinking two to three bottles of wine before going to sleep. And that's when I started seeing it and started trying. And it went on for months, like six months and quarantine hit. And the two bottles turned into four bottles of wine a night. And within all of this, like you were continuing to attempt 
to go back to quitting or was it like after the 50 days you just went on a total bender or did you try again realizing real quickly that it was still pretty bad even though you had had that period of abstination well I kept saying in the back of my head like I I need to go back to the 50 days but then I kept saying no this is fun so I would quit for a day maybe and then I'd go right back to it and be like this is just too much fun and then I started looking back on things I was doing when I was married that did show that I was an alcoholic and I wasn't aware of it until I started trying to quit and feeling the shakes when I was trying to quit and everything. Looking back, I remember even during the divorce process, getting text messages of empty bottles of liquor that she Mm -hmm. found throughout the house Mm -hmm. that I had stuffed and stashed everywhere. If you don't mind me asking, like, was part of the reason why your relationship didn't work was your unhealthy relationship with alcohol? Like, was this situation of her finding you drinking behind her back and her being upset about it? Was that part of the dynamic before New Year's 2019? Upon reflection, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I was resentful that my wife would not let me drink. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she would say, why are you drinking six beers and now opening a bottle of wine on a Tuesday? And I would just get so angry and be like, why won't she just let me do what I want to do? Nobody else's wife would bother them. Just let me be happy. You know, not understanding that's not normal behavior. Thinking that the two beers at night is equal to my six beers and some shots and a bottle of wine. And you know how bad the hangovers and the sleep is? I was in a bad mood at in all times. So I was always grumpy, always angry. And I like to say that alcohol is the reason that I am a single divorced man. Though, you know, it, it, it all comes back to myself. I, I accept my responsibility for it. No, yeah, I understand. And, you know, that moment that you shared with us about the fair, I think you said it was a fair when you told your friends, like, I'm not going to drink because I don't want to get hammered. And how that was kind of an aha moment for you because you realized you either went all out or didn't even see the point in it. So you were always someone who drank to get drunk. But in terms of frequency, were you basically getting drunk every single day? Or were you having a lot of these moments like at the fair where you had days where you'd rather not drink because you knew you weren't going to get drunk anyway? So you would have some days of sobriety. It was a it was like the days of sobriety because I wasn't drinking every day because I knew I would get drunk Mm -hmm. until it started taking my relationship started taking a toll and I found happiness in the bottle. And then that's when it turned into an everyday thing. I'd say six months leading to the divorce was an everyday drinking occasion, but heavily drinking. And it was hiding it every time because it was another argument. So I would literally have bottles of liquor hidden in my trunk. And I would say, I'm going out to my car to get something and pound a bottle of vodka that's in my trunk. And then just go back inside and brush my teeth. Like I was getting ready for bed. Mm -hmm. Was this something that you struggled with outside of these thoughts of anger because you felt controlled and like you, like you said, didn't want your knife to be quote unquote nagging. You've you're able to like look back now and see how that wasn't really normal or healthy, but outside of your relationship with your wife, like, were you okay with yourself? Was work fine? You know, did you have any buddies that maybe checked in on you also and asked you, like, do you think you're drinking too much? How much of this being a problem was possibly like highlighted by other people outside of your wife? Or was it only kind of at home? Oh, that's a deep question. I would say I I hit it from everybody. My wife barely knew half the time. Nobody knew. My parents didn't know. Friends didn't know. Mm. I hit it from everybody. And it was me using it as an outlet to escape my own depression for my life. Because I felt like I wasn't happy with my job at the time. I wasn't happy with myself. I wasn't happy with my marriage. So it was using this thing as like a self-inflicting wound and escapism at the same time, just constantly chasing away things. And it was the only way I could feel numb was definitely in the bottle. And I know a lot of people can relate to that, Mm -hmm. but nobody knew to check up on me because they just thought I had a bad marriage. They didn't know I had a bad marriage because I was 
in a bad mood drunk at the same time, you know? Oh, that had to be so lonely, Kendall. I feel like secrets are a part of many of our journeys. I remember that when I was really engaging with my addiction and with my eating disorder, nobody knew, like you said, and, and, and it was now in hindsight, I can see how not only hard it was, but also how lonely it was because it's like, how are people even supposed to help if you're trying so hard to protect this secret? And we become pretty good at it, you know? Like, I don't know about you and that, like that trick that you shared about vodka and then brushing your teeth. Like we find our our tricks and our ways of existing with it and we get good at it. And, it, and it's like that just prolongs the pain and the suffering. Oh yeah, we get real good at it. <laughs> I laugh about it all the time. I feel like alcoholics would be really good at, you know, busting bank jobs or something with how deep they go into planning. <laughs> so I want to know when you first, when you found Ari and when you started kind of dipping your toe into trying. And the reason why I wanted to ask this question specifically to you, because listeners, the kind of story that I wanted to tell in the backstory is that here on the podcast, we interview a lot of people that we do know, but then also a lot of people that we don't know. And I feel like Kendall, you fall under the category of people that we don't know, but then we kind of do because just so you guys know, listeners, we do a like a sobriety roll call on our Instagram every Sunday where we ask like, how many days of sobriety do you have today? And this is like a post that is programmed into our schedule and it happens every single Sunday. And usually I'm in there on Sundays and I started to notice Kendall pop up. Uh, first, I wasn't noticing. It wasn't until I saw this like repetitive trend of this guy who would post like random things about skating. And also I got to see a cute baby in the background sometimes and just this <laughs> constant attempt at stringing days. Like it would be like day seven, day 14, and then like day one again. But there was always this like brutal honesty about where you were at and like holding hands with this consistency. Like I knew that every Sunday your comment would pop up. And then when it was moving in the right direction of stringing days, I would get super excited. And then when I saw day one, I would be like, oh, like not upset, but more like sad because I know how it feels to start over and just sad and grateful that you were still there and that you weren't giving up. So like a lot of emotions. <laughs> and I started like getting this weird connection with your quote unquote attendance to that post. And you, of course, have started to string days. And now that number is higher than at least I've ever seen it. And you encourage yeah. a lot of the people on that roll call. So when did you find RE and like what got you started even with RE and listening to the podcast after what you shared where you were at, you know, you're back to drinking then how did you say, like, I'm actually going to give this a shot? I would have to say April 2020. So I just started looking up random things, podcast, anything, because, you know, we were in lockdown. There's not much to do except go for a walk or, you know, just try to do anything to keep your mind off of it. But I was still drinking every day. And then I found a few sobriety podcasts and recovery elevator was I just connected with Paul's energy so much right there that I was like this is the one I'm sticking with this one and I was also on a like a count my days sober app and I saw it recommended on there too so I was like okay perfect I'm just gonna listen to this and I just remember I would be walking through my neighborhood for like three hours a day during lockdown listening to podcasts and I'd be listening to uh, recovery elevator immediately get done with my three hour walk, go inside and pick up booze. <laughs> it just seemed ridiculous, but that was me like making my attempt, but I just kept saying, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow and hearing more stories. But then I kept tricking myself at the same time, telling me well, what's another day one. Cause I kept hearing people say, well, the days don't matter. You know, mm -hmm. day one's just as important as any other day. And I just kept tricking myself into saying, well, it doesn't matter how many days, it just matters that I'm still trying. So I was just having this talk with both the devils on my shoulders about just convincing myself it was okay to keep doing this. And then I finally, after a reset, 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 like 20 day ones in a row, I got a day three. And this is where it just started snowballing and coming back. And it was day three, reset, day seven, reset, day 25, reset. 
and I'm just pounding through these REs. And then I found y'all on Instagram. And that's when I started getting like way more excited and trying to like, you know, okay, it's not about what day I'm on. It's about being excited that I'm here trying still. And I had to be fully open with it at the same time because I learned that from RE was I need to tell everybody I'm having an issue. And, you know, I was alone because of quarantine, alone, divorced and everything that I just reached out and started publicly posting on my social media. I'm, I'm an alcoholic and I had never felt <laughs> so loved from people in RE and from my friends. It was amazing. <laughs> I mean, I really want to touch on the fact that it's so hard because I feel like we can be an advocate for ourselves and we have the power to be an advocate for ourselves, but then also we can enable ourselves even when we think we're not, because that's, that's the thing about this, you know, it's, you have to be so brutally honest with yourself. And sometimes you don't even know where you're at to say, okay, another day one, is it because, you know, I'm giving myself grace or like, cut the bullshit. Like you can't have another day one. You're just treating it as a pass. You need to be accountable. Like there is this, like it's a, it's a fine line for all of us. And it does take a lot of trial and error for many of us, a Uh lot of growth awareness. And also just like time, sometimes it's that time. And I understand that a lot of people don't have the privilege of being in the cycle of restarting because sadly, a lot of people, you know, you, you can die during one of these relapses. So it's very serious. It's not like mm-hmm. I would never want to, for people to think that I'm prescribing like, oh, just like experiment. No, like I, I, I think some people can't. And like I said, I think it's a privilege that you and I kind of have that in common in our journeys where we could go back out and then try again and then go back out and then try again. And you're getting to know yourself more. You're growing your awareness yes. and stretching kind of your comfort zone, but it it does require a level of self-honesty, like you said, where to a point you are not enabling yourself, but really holding yourself accountable. And that that's work. Yes. And you know how Paul said doing field research, he doesn't yeah. like calling it relapse. I started taking that and using it as a pass also. I kept telling myself, I need to do more research on alcohol. So I'd go drink for another month. And then I'd be right in the same place wishing I was where I was a month ago, you know, and I kept giving anytime I heard somebody say like a cool phrase or something, I used it as a pass to say, well, I'm going to just use that as a pass to go drink. I'm going to do more research on myself and my emotions and just always ended in the same spot with a headache. Yeah, totally. And just because you had also shared that for you specifically, secrets and drinking on your own and it being such almost like a double life that you had um, before you quit and then understanding and deciding I need to tell people I need to be open about this. The cool thing about the recovery community is that like there is an overpouring like pump of love that you will be held with and that we know this. I feel like it's amazing. And just knowing that the community is there for us no matter what is huge for me. Uh, But I think sometimes it's harder with the people for me that are outside of my community that maybe don't get it or that maybe didn't see how hard it was for me because I also kept a lot of my struggles behind the scenes or in secrets. So how was it talking to people in your real life about this as you were attempting sobriety? Like, was it almost harder than with RE people or how was your actual life and your life conversations with people in your life, your friends and family, once you decided to be open about this? Okay, so this is where it, it was kind of strange is that I wasn't skateboarding at all when I was married. I was focusing most just work and marriage. And during the quarantine, I picked up skateboarding again after about three to four years off. So I started becoming friends with my old friends again, mm-hmm. you know, getting close with them. And I recognized the difference from my friends that I wasn't involved in in skating. And then those friends that I had in skating skateboarding that I left in the past because you know sometimes when you're in a relationship you do that and you fade away and when I told my friends that are involved in skating they were the most supportive and excited people and I got so many hugs people would drive from wherever they were and come to my house if I told them I had cravings like it was incredible and to find out that I had six friends that were already years sober 
but I wow. never knew because I never thought to ask, you know, I never paid attention to those people's problems. I was always worried about my problems, but when it came to like people that I had outside of the skate community, they never took it serious. I had people tell me just drink white claw, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's the thing. I I'm an alcoholic. Have you tried drinking white claw? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, it changed. I was like, that would, I'll have 12, I guess. Sure. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Part of that is just even like just this, the glorified role that alcohol has in society to where people, yeah, like, why don't you just stick to beer and wine? Why don't you just have one? You know, like all these. And then and, and the, they don't mean to say it from a bad place. I think it's just this. Yeah, like glorification, like I said, of alcohol and it not being perceived for what it is. Oh, man. But at the same time, though, there, there are a lot of people that are normal drinkers or do drink a lot that I noticed said, wow, I wish I could do that, but I never will. You know, so I I'd recognize that a lot of people really did want to be in the same boat as me, but just knew they never could. And it was weird because I guess they just enjoy drinking and they understand this. I'm not in a boat where it'll kill me, but I'm going to drink every day. And it was weird seeing the signs in people that I didn't know had that issue either. So now I can recognize those signs in people, but I won't ever set boundaries, obviously. But it's just going, wow, I didn't know they always wish they could quit drinking, but I'm here to talk if they ever want to. Yeah, and that's a uh, another group of people. I mean, I, I don't love categories, but it's like, yes, normies, people that don't even have problems with drinking because they're not even thinking about drinking. And then there are a lot of people, like you said, where they are starting to analyze their relationship with drinking, especially if it's like a part of a lot of their routines, you know, daily drinking is now quote unquote normal and drinking mm -hmm. is everywhere. So I do think that this bucket of like gray area drinkers, the more time passes and the more we do have these conversations, a lot of them do start kind of scratching their chin and going, Hmm, like, I wonder, I wonder if I should, try not drinking. I think that's why sober curious people are really like on the rise because they don't really consider themselves an alcoholic, but they really are starting to see and understand like, well, it's not that fun to wake up hungover every day with a slight headache or to even have to drink every day. So it's a, it's interesting to see that by you just protecting your sobriety and continuing to do it, you can just basically be a role model whether or not they ever quit drinking or not at least just to like plant seeds for new questions i think that we all deep down want to keep evolving and learning and growing and whether that's outside of drinking with whatever and i think that you just being that person for them just allows them for hopefully some introspection and just asking themselves some questions about like what am i doing with my life i still ask that question sober right <laughs> oh my God. I still ask that question. And that's why I'm like, yeah. you guys, I do this podcast, but please, I, I, I don't even know what I'm doing now at the time. I know. Uh, I, I feel like now that I'm sober, because you know, it's, you become a lot more emotionally aware and I'm a lot, you know, I think about stuff a lot deeper. I'm asking all these questions, you know, why did I do this? Why did I do that? You know, I'm working on myself constantly that I'm more confused than I was. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I feel like a lot of uh, like contradicting thoughts and contradict contradicting emotions find themselves like more confused, but more clarity. It's like, oh, things that feel like they're opposites, but they're both coexisting. I think it's such a part of so many of our journeys. And I love that you said that some friends would even drive to your house if you said that you had a craving. So that was kind of one of my next questions. You know, do you still get cravings and what are some of your tools when you do get that urge um, to drink? Oh, man. So I, I have a roommate and my roommate is now two months and a few days sober. So I'm very happy for him. Yay. Uh, I know. I'm super happy for him. He'd been battling with it back and forth. And I think once my day started tacking, he finally, you know, it clicked a little bit more for him, too. I text him constantly and I still text him probably two to three times a week. That, but I call it nostalgia. I just say I'm having nostalgia again because it's this constant like I'm romanticizing my relationship with alcohol, but I recognize it a lot. It's because, you know, I'm 
I've been single for a while, you know, and I'm trying to get out into the dating scene again. And the dating scene is alcohol. That's just what it seems like. It just seems like it's alcohol. And every time I, I reach out to him and I just keep saying, I know I'm having feelings like this because it's alcohol. Everybody is holding alcohol in their pictures. Everybody wants to go get a drink. And I think I've built such a strong foundation of slip ups because those slip ups really did add up to a solid ground for me to stand on that when I have these cravings, it's easy to push them away, even in the darkest times now, because I fell upon those cravings so many times. Mm -hmm. And when I was so close trying to get to a hundred days for the first time, and I slipped up at day 76, I only drank two drinks that night. And that's when I'm on this streak. I only drank once. I didn't go on a bender. I felt the alcohol. I used that as an experiment of having this drink and I'm feeling the alcohol and I hated it. Like I hate, I couldn't, I felt weird to not be able to feel my emotions properly. I couldn't walk good. I felt so uncontrolled that I can honestly say field research, relapse, whatever you want to call it, was the best thing that built my awareness to fight cravings because I know it'll do nothing, but give me a headache and I'm going to wish I was on day two or three tomorrow. You know, I love the separation of it's not a craving it's nostalgia. I think it's such great awareness around this journey because I, I feel very similar to you. You know, I'm over a thousand days in and I still sometimes give myself a hard time when I think I'm having a craving, but it's actually not a craving. It's exactly what you said. It's nostalgia, you know? So having that like separation and, and almost helps me see it as for what it is, like you said, and, and take the, the mask off and be like, it's not what you think. I mean, it sounds so silly because, you know, we talk about amazing tools, like follow the drink, you know, follow it forward and you'll see what, mm -hmm. what it's really like. There's a ton of tools, but I feel like it's such a, it can become such a mind trick, like you said, and just having a different name for it that isn't craving even allows me to see it differently. So I, I actually like that a lot. And I'm a big proponent of sharing when it's happening, like you do with your roommate. I tend to do that with my husband a lot. Like, oh man, I, I can just like see us at the beach right now with the kids, like having a hard kombucha, like that just Mm -hmm. It looks like such a pretty picture in my mind, but it's, it's not even a craving. It's exactly what you're saying. It's the nostalgia. It's the romanticizing. And I, and I like that you have the ability to just text someone and call it out. Cause I do feel like calling it out, at least for me, allows for it to dissipate quicker than if I just pretend like it's not happening. Yes. And like on day 170, I think it was day 170 about a month ago. I had a very, very, very bad day. And I, I'm going to admit it right here on the podcast. I blocked Cafe RE from seeing my post <laughs> <laughs> because I was having such a bad day and I had to call out to everybody. I need help. I, I am going to drink. I can't do this anymore. I am falling apart. And I even took cafe. Um, oh, I took RE. I'm not on cafe. RE, But I, I took RE off my Instagram. So y'all couldn't see my post crying for help. And I got 48 text messages, 23 phone calls and 73 messages on my Instagram that my phone glitched out. Wow. <laughs> In an hour. And that's how bad I was feeling that I had to get. I didn't want RE to see me if I was falling apart and I messed up. And I had... Uh, I had two people show up in my house This and my phone would not stop ringing for three days later too until I had to call everybody back and I made it through it and obviously and I'm here, but that just goes to show how like crazy these situations can be to where I even tried to hide myself from a, a community that I find very important, which was RE because I was embarrassed and then to still reach out and be like, I'm ready to do this podcast. I survived it. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> and I came back on that Sunday still with my days and y'all not knowing what I was going through. You know what I mean? Wow. You know what? And I do have to say that I hope you credit yourself for reaching out because I mean, the reason why your phone was blowing up that way is because you picked up the phone first, you know, because even, even when we do a good job checking in on our friends, checking in on the people who we know are struggling you never really know when that person really needs it. And I feel like at least for many of us, and I'm 
saying us because definitely me. I had plenty of those moments where not only did I feel like blocking RE, but I also didn't even have the strength. I don't know if strength is the right word, but I also wouldn't call anyone. Like I would just isolate. And like, instead of just blocking RE, I would block everyone and be like, suffer on my own instead of reaching out. So I think it speaks, you know, highly of that ability to reach out to people because a lot of us do struggle with isolation and then we'll come back later. And, you know, like you guys, I didn't tell you guys, but I was really struggling the other day. And I hear this a lot, especially within our group. You know, I I hadn't told you guys, but it's been a few days that I'm struggling. And, and when we're on the other side, I'm like, why didn't you say something? But I've also been at the place where I haven't said anything until it's been like a freaking two weeks. And then I just have a meltdown and, and I just hadn't reached out on time. So I really love that you have a support system outside of the recovery world, because I also know that that's not the case for many people. It sounds like you have a group of really badass friends. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I, I started, there's a trend, you know, on social media that everybody talks about mental health awareness, mental health and everything like that. And everybody says they support mental health, but I never see anybody openly talking about their mental health, you know? But they say they support it, but they don't want to talk about theirs. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to be the guy that just openly talks about his. And the second I started doing that, it wasn't embarrassing. It, there was nothing wrong with it. And instead, I started getting an outpour of love and people coming to me with their problems. I have four close friends that nobody knows they're struggling with these certain issues that I know about. And I'm never going to like tell anybody what's going on with them. But maybe they've never, they're not going to openly talk about it on their page like I do. But, you know, if somebody doesn't say something, nobody knows people are there to actually listen. So yeah, you're I right. Just... I, I see it happening a lot on, you know, I love sharing about mental health and I love social media. I think sometimes I tend to be a little bit of an oversharer, but I notice people <laughs> interact with me differently online than maybe if I bump into them at like a kid's play date or a barbecue or whatever. It's like, I don't know. I feel like it's still awkward and it's okay. You know, I think people are trying and the first step is at least advocating and and, and trying to be an advocate. But I do think this like face-to-face conversation about these issues is still so hard for a lot of people. Like they don't know what to say or, you know, it's just, it's complicated. So I'm just really glad that you are, that you are doing it. And it, and it does, I don't know if you agree, but having people then reach out to you, maybe not for answers, but just for support. And that comes from yes. you being vulnerable. That just feels so good. Yes. And, and hug your friends. And if you're a male, hug your friends, hug your yes. guy friends. Yes. <laughs> like guys should definitely support guys. That That's one of the biggest things I am so about. I don't see guys talking about their feelings too much. They want to talk about football. They want to talk about this or that, but they don't want to talk about anything that's like, man, I cried on my way to work the other day. Oh, dude, what happened? Let's talk about it. And hugs. Uh, guys should hug guys. Guys should talk to their guy friends about more meaningful things, not shove it down. We need to change that. You are changing that. And I love that you have a daughter because you are also teaching her, you know, a, a different version of a male than, I mean, stereotypically than than most. Like you said, you know, we still have this struggle where a lot of males, yeah, struggle with their feelings, struggle with showing vulnerability, struggle with talking about things. And and I think it's really neat what you're doing for her just by being yourself and continuing to try. And I really like that part of your of the answer when you said that like you went back to skateboarding, you hadn't done it when you were married. We kind of fall into this like social trap of like, I just, I got to grow up and I got to do the right thing and be a husband and work and, and losing the things that we love along the way sometimes happens for people. And I, and I don't think it's supposed to be that way. And and a big part of what we talk about here at Recovery Elevator is like, it has to be fun. We have to find joy in life. Um, and I just really love that you kind of went back to things that you enjoyed other than skateboarding. What else in your life kind of came back online? Uh, I've had a big interest in handstands and yoga and like movement stuff that I actually am not too hungover enough anymore to actually practice when I get home (laughs) and actually show up to some yoga classes and stuff like that. I I get up at 6 a.m. I have to be at work at 8. 
I get up at 6 a.m. and I make it to the gym every day for an hour now, even on the weekends, and practice handstands. I'm a guy that skateboards that can almost do the splits. Like anything that has to do with human body movement is just artwork to me. And I want to know how to move my body just so optimally that and it just blows my mind. And it's the most exciting thing to me. So I'm going to keep chasing that and making sure my body is not filled with poison anymore. My mind is clear. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you also said, you know, I, I didn't even see that other people had problems because I was so self-absorbed. I don't want to use those words. That sounds mean. Like, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so, true though. Just, just be so, straight up about it. <laughs> we're just so in ourselves when we're struggling, you know, and, and we, when we're active in the consumption cycle that, that it is hard to to be there for other people, to notice other things, to be a good friend. And just that is one of the things where like, it's not really about pursuing new hobbies or, or having a big life change. It's about like being a good person to other people around you like that. You can't do that when you're not being good to yourself and when you're completely checked out all the time. A hundred percent. I have never been this nice in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened, but as soon as I got sober, and kept and I don't have to worry about my days anymore. I am such a hype man for everybody. <laughs> like, I literally respond to so many stories just like with everything like yes, good job dude. Like me I'm so happy for your success cuz it's not going to bring down mine. I know that now. <laughs> like and I'm not I'm not drinking, I'm not building a debt to my emotions. I don't have to pay for them later. I'm feeling everything now and all I want now is everybody around me to just be in a good mood. <laughs> No, oh, I love that. I love that. Thanks, Kendall. We do have reached the rapid fire round. So if you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? Oh, I'll try. All right. If you could talk to young Kendall or Kendall on day one, the first day one, what would you say? Oh, goodness. That's a deep one. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't change anything. Just do the same process. Learn those lessons. You're doing fantastic. Keep going, man. What is a light bulb moment that you've had during this journey? After having one drink, after being 76 days sober, realizing, wow, this is not fun. This is just a headache. And now I don't feel like I can do a handstand. <laughs> what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate chip. Apparently, I like to eat toothpaste. That's what people tell me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you excited about right now? Right now, I'm excited to get to a year sober, even though the, the number means nothing really. But I really want to have a party. And drink a lot of non-alcoholic beer. Yeah, I really like. I like athletic brewing. That's a really good one. What's your go-to response when someone offers you a drink? I just say no, thank you. I don't drink anymore. That's that's really all it is. And then you know they always ask, oh, "Are you an alcoholic?" I'm just like, "No, I just don't like to drink." What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? Be easy on yourself. Anytime you have a relapse or a reset or field research or anything, just take your time and really understand it because that's really where you get your strongest is right there. Just sit in it. And as long as you keep resetting, it means you're still trying. And that's what's important. Yes. Don't quit quitting. And before we depart, Kendall, can you give listeners your own? You may have to say adios to booze if line. You may have to say adios to booze. If you have a big bottle of the same vodka in your trunk that is in the house and when nobody's around, you refill the one in the house so they don't know it's been getting lower throughout the weeks. I'm glad that you don't have to rely on your good tricks anymore, Kendall. Me too. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I appreciate you. Thank you for being such a hype man and support system for people on RE because you are, I see you and I appreciate you. Take care and we'll be in touch. Thank you. And y'all will see me up there every Sunday. Pop-Tarts fly, hyping everybody up. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good day. <laughs> Thank you too. Very well, Team RE. That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to address listeners who may feel like they're on the struggle bus right now. All I want to say is please hold on. One of the things I've discovered on this journey is that the intensity of bad days and low emotions is pretty heightened. We feel it all and we feel very tender. Sometimes it's quite a lot. 
Interestingly enough for me at least, after a day where I'm completely spiraling and struggling and questioning my entire life, I can actually have a complete quote-unquote normal day. My emotions do level out and the intensity that I felt dissipates. So please hold on. Know that you will turn a corner sooner than later. Trust and reach out for help. My friend Rhonda messaged me a few days ago with this reminder. So shout out to you, my beautiful friend Rhonda. Thanks for reminding me that on a bad day, all I have to do is hold on. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, as my son Max and I always say, slow and steady wins the race. I love you guys. How do you know this is the experience you need?